And when we're there in Isaiah chapter 17, and if you remember, uh, we've been going through these passages in Isaiah, and, and in, the, in the last few chapters, we've been talking about the different burdens. We saw the burden of Babylon, and now here, if you look at verse 1, it says the burden of Damascus. And I want you to understand, it's not just Damascus that he's talking to, but it, all, it is also Ephraim, and you'll see that in the passage. And I kind of want you to give you a quick overview uh, as to, to what's going on. If you look at verse 1, the Bible says the burden of Damascus. Now, Damascus was the capital city of Syria, and it says, so, so he's talking to Damascus, which is the capital city, but but he's talking to the, the Assyrians or to, to the nation of Syria. He says, the burden of Damascus, he says, behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city. So he said, it's, it's, it's no longer going to be a city and it shall be a ruinous heap. That word ruinous comes you know, from the same word that we would say it's ruined. A heap is a reference there to, to just a, a pile. So he's saying it's going to get ruined and it's going to get piled up. He says, the cities of Aurora are forsaken. They shall be for flocks which shall lie down, and none shall make them afraid. The fortress also, now notice, he was talking about Damascus, but now he's going to add another uh, city or another uh, geographic location. In verse 3, he says, The fortress also shall cease from Ephraim. Now, just like he's using Damascus, and he's talking about Damascus and using the capital city to talk to an entire nation, he talks to Ephraim, which is one of the tribes of the children of Israel. But Ephraim, if you remember in the Bible, was the largest of the tribes of the northern kingdom. Remember, we've been talking about, as we've been going through the book of Isaiah, that the nation of Israel was divided from the northern kingdom to the southern kingdom. And you had the, the tribe of Judah was often referred to as the entire southern kingdom because Judah was the main tribe there. And the northern kingdom, even though it was ten tribes, the biggest tribe was Ephraim. So often God will refer to Ephraim and he's talking about that entire northern kingdom. Just like he's talking to the entire nation when he says Damascus using their capital city, he's talking to the entire northern kingdom of Israel by just referring to them as Ephraim. He says, the fortress also shall cease from Ephraim. He says, the, the fortress or the strongholds that they have, they, they're not going to have those anymore. They're going to cease from Ephraim. The kingdom from Damascus and the remnant of Syria, they shall be as the glory of the children of Israel, saith the Lord of hosts. So when you get to chapter 17 and you're kind of wondering, okay, who is this passage about? Well, it's about Damascus or Syria, and it's about Ephraim or that northern uh, kingdom of Israel. Now, what is it that the prophet is saying to them, and what is it that he's trying to explain? Look at verse 4. In, in verses 1 through 3, we get the who, Damascus and Ephraim. In verses 4 and 5, we get the what, and the what is this, that they were gonna, they're going to be easily defeated by Assyria. Verse 4 says, and in that day it shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob shall be, notice this, made thin. Now, the idea there is he's, he's saying the glory is going to be made thin, meaning it's going to be made weak. And the fatness of his flesh, often in the Bible, that term fatness, uh, if, they, if, you had, you know, if you had a fatted calf, you were talking about a healthy individual, and, and having some fat on your body is, is good for you. And he says the fatness of his flesh shall wax lean. So he's talking about someone who was healthy, someone who was strong, is now going to become uh, thin. They're going to become lean. They're got, the idea is that they're going to become weak. Look at verse 5. And it shall be as when the harvestman gathereth the corn. Now, he's given us an example here. He says, when Syria comes to take Damascus, when Syria comes to defeat Ephraim, he said, it's going to be, it shall be as, verse 5, 
When the harvestman gathereth the corn, and reapeth the ears with his arm, and it shall be as he that gathereth ears in the valley of Rephaim. Here's what he's saying. Just like when the harvestman, just like when a man would go out during the harvest time, and he would gather the corn, and he would reap the ears with his arm. And the idea that he's given is this. Just as easy as it is for a harvestman, for a man, to go out into a cornfield, and with his hands grab that, you know, grab, grab a, 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 a few of those... Uh, ears of corn by the top and then take a sickle and with his arm kind of just swipe at the bottom and cut off that that corn and be able to gather that up he says just like it's easy for a man to go and take that that corn and just kind of cut it up and swoop it up and remove it he said that's how easy it's going to be for Syria to come in and defeat Damascus and defeat Ephraim he says it shall be as when the harvestman gathereth the corn and reapeth the ears with his arm and it shall be as he that gathereth ears in the valley of Rephim. So he's so the who is this? Damascus and Ephraim. The what is this? That they will be easily defeated by Assyria. God is explaining to them that judgment is coming. And this is what we've been talking about in the book of Isaiah. And I hope you're not getting depressed by the subject. But he's basically just explaining to uh, city after city, people after city uh, after people, how it is that they're going to be defeated. Now you may be asking the question, why? Why is it that God would be defeating these people? Notice verse 6. Yet gleaning grapes shall be left in it as the shaking of an olive tree. Notice he's using the idea of harvesting something. Two or three berries in the top of the uppermost bow. Four or five in the outmost fruitful branches thereof, saith the Lord of God, the Lord God of Israel. Now notice verse 7. Here's the why. And at that day, the day of judgment, the day that God allows them to be taken over, he says, at that day shall a man look to his maker. Now his maker is a reference to God, the creator. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, on that day, when Syria comes in, and they kind of just very easily take over, just like a man, you know, harvesting grain or harvesting corn, and just kind of uh, swiping at the bottom there with a tool and, and, and pulling you out of, your, uh, out of the land. He says, just like it'll be easy for the Assyrians to come in and remove the people of Damascus and remove the people of Ephraim. And we, and we know, uh, if you've read the Old Testament, that when Assyria came in, they took the Israelites and they removed them from the land and they brought in... Gentiles that they uh, that they put into that land and and what God is saying now notice you say well why why is it that God is going to allow them to be defeated to Assyria here's why to bring their attention back to God verse seven at that day shall a man look to his maker and his eyes shall have respect to the holy one of Israel he says look on that day when you're being taken over on that day when your armies are being defeated on that day when you're being when your children are being taken captive and being put you know uh, in, in caravans and taken away to a, to a different city to a different nation he said in that day a man will look to his maker and his eyes shall have respect to the holy one of Israel verse 8 he shall not look to the altars the work of his hands neither shall respect that which his fingers have made either the groves or the images. So here's what's going on. For a long time, both Damascus and Ephraim have been building things. Now in this, in this context, they've been building altars, they've been building idols, they've been building things with their hands, and the things that they made with their fingers, with their hands, the things that they created, they've been looking at those things, and they've been worshiping those things. They've been admiring those things. They've been, uh, 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 you know, putting those things before God. But he says, in that day, he says, in that day that everything is taken away, that your family is taken away, that your finances are taken away, that judgment comes. He says, in that day 
shall a man look to his makers. His eyes shall have respect to the Holy One of Israel. And he says, I'll tell you what you won't be looking at in that day. You won't be looking at the altars and the work of your hands. He said, you won't be looking at the things that you made. Notice, neither shall I have respect to, uh, to that which his fingers have made, either the groves or the images. In that day shall his strong cities be forsaken, bows and an uppermost branch, which they left because of the children of Israel. And there shall be desolation. Look at verse 10. Because, because thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation and has not been mindful. Make note of that word mindful. Mindful means you have not been thinking about. You've not been pondering. It's not been on your mind. He says, I've not been mindful of the rock of thy strength. If you've been with us as we've been studying uh, on Wednesday nights, the book of Matthew, you're very aware of who that rock is. That's Jesus Christ. And he says, because thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation and has not been mindful of the rock of thy strength, therefore shalt thou plant pleasant plants and shall set it with strange slips. Now here's what you've got to understand. And, and here's how this ancient document, the, the book of Isaiah, written thousands of years ago, still applies to us today. Because you need to understand this. Here's what I know about Ephraim. Here's what I know about Damascus. And here's what I know about you. The more prosperous a land is, the more our attention is set on the things that we make. The more prosperous that a land is, the more our attention is set on the things that we make. Now, for ancient Syria and for ancient Ephraim, Damascus, those were altars, those were idols, those were things that they built with their hands that took their attention off of God and put their attention on the things that they built. In America today, they may not necessarily be altars and they may not necessarily be idols that we built with our hands but you know the things that take our attention away from God are cars that we built with our hands and boats that we built with our hands and toys that we build with our hands, and airplanes that have been built with human hands that take us on vacations, and the stock market, which is a man-made thing, and banking systems, and money. And here's what I know about you, and here's what I know about Damascus, that the more prosperous a nation is. When Ephraim was prospering, when Damascus was prospering, the Bible says they forgot the God of their salvation. And just like Damascus and just like Ephraim, we have a tendency to forget God when we have a little prosperity. And unfortunately, in America, we have much prosperity, and there were, therefore we have many forgetful Christians. The songwriter wrote, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And is that not the, is that not the story of Christianity? When God allows peace, see, one of the best things that would happen to America, you know, we, 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 we preach about America, and I understand, and we want to come back to God, and we want to keep the blessing, but you know, the truth is that one of the greatest things that would happen for the Christianity in America, I'm not talking about your life and my life, I'm not saying for you personally or me personally, but the, one of the greatest things that would happen for, the, for Christianity in America, for the gospel being preached in this country, for actually going out and reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, one of the greatest things that would happen in America is if everything was taken away. Amen. 
If judgment came, if China came, if, if Russia came, if somebody came and they took us captive, if somebody came and they took our homes and they took our cars and they took our boats and they took our money and they took everything we had, be one of the greatest things that could happen for Christianity because here's what they would take, all our distractions. Now look, I'm not saying that's the greatest thing for you and I'm not saying that's the greatest thing for me and I'm not necessarily saying that I'm even praying for that. I'm not an Elijah praying for a, a famine to come and I'm not an Elijah praying for there not to be rain. But one of the greatest things that happened for that nation was that a man of God stood up and said, it's not going to rain for the next three and a half years and they got the attention of the people when judgment came. And you want to know why we don't go soul winning like we should and we don't read our Bibles like we should and we don't pray like we should and we're not uh, interested in the things of God like we should and we don't have, you know, our church attendance is, ah. You want to know why? Because we're distracted. Because we're prosperous. Because you have a comfortable house with a comfortable temperature, with a comfortable vehicle, with nice clothes, with money in the bank, and you can go out to eat and you have your nice job and you got your 401k and you got your Roth IRA and you're cruising. And we have forgotten the God of thy salvation. Now here's what you need to understand. Keep your finger there in Isaiah 17 and go with me to James, chapter number 1. James in the New Testament. If, if you go from the book of Revelation back, you go past Jude, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, 1st, 2nd Peter, and then James. James, chapter 1. Here's what you need to understand about God. Anything... Anything, anything that you have came from God. James 1.17, if you're there, the Bible says this. Every good gift, not most, it says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. See, anything we have came from God. In fact, not anything that we have came from God, but everything that we have came from God. And we like to complain and we say, well, I'm not as rich as so-and-so and I'm, you know, below the poverty level in America and I don't make a lot of money. But listen, if you live in the United States of America, you're one of the richest people in this world. I mean, there are countries where people don't make half of what the poorest person in America makes. And the poorest person in America has all these gadgets. I mean, people say, I'm poor and I'm broke. And they're running around with a computer in their you know, hand that they call a cell phone. That people in this world maybe have never even seen and dead sure could not afford. And we live in a very prosperous nation, very comfortable nation. People don't go hungry in America. You can go anywhere. I mean, you, can, you, you could, uh, uh, and, and they do it all the time. Perfect strangers that we've never met will call our church and we'll feed them. If they, need, if they need food, we'll feed them. Every good gift and every perfect, pe every perfect gift is from above. And coming down from the Father lights. Now here's what you got to understand. Everything we have came from God. But the flip side to that idea is this, is this. Everything we have can be taken away by God. Can you go back to Isaiah 17? Look at verse 2. You say, I have a nice car. You say, I have a nice house. You say, I take nice vacations. You say, I have nice 401k and I've got great investment. But do you understand that all of that, all of that, all of that can be taken like this? All it takes is one accident. All it takes is one person. You, it doesn't even have to be you. All it takes is one person doing something to you and it could cause you to lose everything. In Isaiah 17, chapter 17, look at verse 2. 
The cities of Aurora are forsaken. They shall be for flocks. Now, he's talking about major cities. These great Manhattans of Syria. And he says, here's what God says. You've got these great cities and you've got your altars and you've got your temples and you've got your idols and you've got your Damascus and you've got Aurora and you've got these great cities. And they, it would be like, like us talking about cities in, in America like New York City and Los Angeles and San Francisco and, and, and these great m- metropolises. And he says, but you know what I'm going to do? He says, by the time I'm done with your cities, I don't know why this thing keeps coming down. He says, by the time I'm done with your cities, notice what he says, they shall be for flocks. It would be like if we were saying, like if God said, you know, your little downtown Sacramento, it's real nice, but by the time I'm done with it, all it's going to be good for is for, you know, keeping your flock down there. He says, it shall be for flocks which shall lie down and none shall make them afraid. Now, if you know anything about sheep, they get afraid pretty fast. (laughs) Anything scares a sheep and they go off running away and they're pretty dumb animals, which is kind of interesting. God uses them as an illustration of Christians. But he says, by the time I'm done with your cities... Not, not even sheep are going to be afraid. It's going to be so forsaken. They'll just run around and have a good time. Look at verse 6. Yet gleaning grapes shall be left. Remember, the idea was of harvesting. Now, if you remember from the Old Testament, when they harvested a field, they were to bring in the entire harvest. But anything that was left over, so if they went through and kind of picked out all the things, anything that they forgot or that they didn't, maybe they couldn't quite reach it or they didn't have enough room to get it, anything that was, that was left there, they were to leave it there. So that the poor, it was kind of their welfare system, the poor could then come in behind them and the poor were expected to work as well. The widows and the orphans could come in behind them and anything that was left, they were able to to take and glean. And he says, by the time I'm done with you, you are going to be like the gleaning grapes that shall be left. He says, as the shaking of an olive tree, two or three berries. He's talking about, you know, when an olive tree has been harvested and there's nothing left and you kind of just shake it because there's just one or two berries up there. He says, by the time I'm done with you, Syria, uh, uh, Damascus, by the time I'm done with you, Ephraim, he said, it's not going to be, you're not going to be this great nation like you are right now. You're going to be taken out and you're going to be replaced. And there may be two or three. It's going to be like when you shake an olive tree and maybe there's just two or three in the top of the uppermost bow. Look. Look at verse 6. Four or five in the outmost fruitful branches thereof, saith the Lord God of Israel. Look at verse 9. In that day shall his strong cities be as a forsaken bow. He says, you know, you're impressed with all your cities and you're impressed with all the things that you build. But he said, in that day it's going to be forsaken and then uppermost branch, which they left because of the children of Israel, And there shall be desolation. Look at verse 11. In the day, he says, in the day shalt thou make thy plant to grow. He said, you're going to get out there and you're going to say, I'm going to make this plant grow. You're going to get out there and you're going to say, I know God took everything away, but I'm going to rebuild it and I'm going to make it up again. And he says, shalt thou make thy plant grow. And in the morning shalt thou make thy seed to flourish. But, notice, but the harvest shall be a heap in the day of grief and of desperate sorrow. 
Here's what he's saying. You're going to get out there and you're going to say, I'm going to make this grow. I'm going to make this business grow. I'm going to make this career grow. I don't care what God says. I'm going to make this. I'm going to rebuild this thing. He said, you're going to get out there and you're going to work and you're going to say, I'm going to make this plant grow and I'm going to make this seed flourish. But he said, when I'm done with you, by the time it's, it's time to reap the harvest, all you're going to reap is grief and desperate sorrow because I am not going to allow you to rebuild. And here's the point. Everything we have came from God. And everything we have can be taken by God. Do you understand that? Amen. Go with me to the book of Job. I'm not going to preach to you the story of Job. You know the story of Job, but let me just show you one verse. Job 121. Remember Job? Right before the book of Psalms. Remember Job when he lost everything? He lost his riches. He lost his family. His wife was not necessarily being the most encouraging. She said, curse God and die to Job. And Job's response was this. And our mindsets ought to be this as Christians. Job 121. And said, this is what Job said. Naked came I out of my mother's womb. And naked shall I return hither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Now notice what he says. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And as Christians, we need to understand and we need to have this attitude. Here's what Job knew. Here's what Job understood. Everything I have came from God. And God can take it all away whenever he pleases. And he says, but he says, look, I came into this world with nothing. He said, naked came out of my mother's womb. And, naked, and by the way, not only, not only did Job understand that I came into this world with because we all understand that. I mean, talk to the average uh, self-made millionaire, and they're very proud. Why? Because they're going to say, man, everything I, you know, I came into this world with nothing. Job understood naked came I into, uh, into this world. But he also understood this, and naked shall I return hither. Do you understand that you're not taking anything with you? All the cars... All the toys, all the things, you can't take it with you. And he said, the Lord gave, the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So here's the application. Go with me to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2. In the book of Revelation, we have the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to some churches. And he's dealing with the church that's kind of dealing with this idea. This idea of too much prosperity. This idea of being too comfortable. This idea of, uh, I have a great job. I have a great house. I have great vehicles. I have nice clothes. I'm comfortable. And, and, and they're a distraction. They're causing me to forget the God of my salvation. They're causing me to not be mindful of spiritual things. They're causing me to worship and give my attention and give my priority to the things that I have made with my hand. And in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says this. Jesus is speaking to this church. He says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience. And thou how canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. And has borne in his patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. He's given them some compliments. Now he begins to tell them what he doesn't like. Verse 4, he says, Nevertheless, I have someone against thee. Notice what he says. Because thou hast left thy first love. You know what he's saying? He's saying, You forgot the God of your salvation. He's saying, You're not mindful of the Lord. 
He says, you, you have left, you forgot. He said, when you first got saved, you were so happy and you were so joyful and you were so thankful and it was all about God. And you were like, man, I, I, I praise the Lord that I've been saved. I praise the Lord that I get to go to church. I praise the Lord that I have a Bible that I can read, that I can pray, that I can have a, 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 spirit, a, a heavenly father and a spiritual family. And he said, you were so in love with the things of God. But now you've left that first love. Now you say, well, Pastor, what, what's the remedy? Here's the remedy. Can we, can we read just the first phrase together? Revelation 5, from the word remember to the word repent. Let's read it together, okay? One, two, three. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. Let's read it again together. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. Let's read it one more time. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. Here's what I want you to understand, and here's what I want you to get. The remedy to forgetful Christians is to, number one, remember, and number two, repent. Remember and repent. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. And, and the result of that will be, and do the first works, or else I will come upon thee quickly and remove thy candles to God's place, except thou, except thou repent. See, it's good to be reminded. Go with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. If you find First and Second Corinthians, you've got First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians, chapter 3, look at verse 1. The remedy to forgetful Christians is to be remembered, or to remember, to be reminded, I should say. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. The remedy is to remember, and when you remember, repent. Now the word repent means to turn. So when you've forgotten God, when you've not been mindful of His words, when you've not been mindful of the God of your salvation, when you've gotten distracted by the things that you've created or the things that you purchased that someone else created, the things that were made by man, the things that were not eternal. And please understand, I'm not against you having nice things. I, you should have a nice car, and you should have nice vehicles, and you should go on vacations. We're not against those things, but we are against those things when those things become a distraction. You say, what do I do? Remember and repent. It's good to be reminded. Are you there in Philippians chapter 3? Look at verse 1. Philippians 3, 1 says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now notice what Paul says. Remember we talked this morning about the fact that when Paul would write a letter, he expected it to be read in the church. And he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. You notice what he says. To write the same thing to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. You know why you should come to church on a regular basis, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? You know why you ought to strive to be faithful to the house of God? Because here's what happens. After a while, after you've been with us for a while, you come to this church and you'll say, well, I heard Pastor preach about family integrated church last year. I already know that. Well, I've heard pastor preach about reading your Bible before. And I've heard pastor preach about praying before. And I've heard pastor preach about forgetting the God of your salvation before. But it's good, it's good to be reminded. Amen. See, how many times do you come to church and you hear a sermon about prayer? And you've already heard a sermon about prayer. And you've already seen those texts. But it stirs in your heart and you say, man, I've got to get back to that prayer. Man, I've got to get back to that Bible. You've already heard the sermons about Bible. You've already heard the sermons of soul winning. You've already heard the sermons of separation. But you say, man, I've got to get back to that. I've got to get back to that. I've got to get back to that. Why? Because prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's who you are, and it's who I am. And it's good. See, for me, it's not grievous. For you, it is safe to be reminded. To write the same thing to you, to me, is not 
indeed is not grievous, but for you to say. You say, what do we do when we forget? You remember and you repent. You choose to keep God first. Go to Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 30. These are well-known passages, I know you know them. Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 30. See, everything you have came from God. And God will allow you, God will allow you grace. The Bible says that he is long-suffering. And God will allow you time and he'll give you patience. But I, you need to understand this. There comes a time when God will say, enough is enough. And if all these blessings that I've given you are a distraction, then he says, I'll just minimize your distractions. I can take them all away as easily as I gave them to you. Now notice what he, Matthew says, the Lord Jesus Christ says in Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 30. Matthew 6.30 says, Wherefore, this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? See, we're so wrapped up in, in the things that we have, the clothes that we wear, the things that, God, that, that we can get from this world. And he says, look, it, it, don't you realize that that's where it, it came from God? I mean, if God clothes the, the grass of the field and, and it's plucked up and it's burnt up in the oven, he said, don't you know that God will take care of you? Verse 31, therefore take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. And here's what he said. And here's what you can understand. You say, the, the things that God has given us will often cause us to forget the God that gave us those things. But he says, look, if you just remember, if you just repent, if you just go back to that God, he will provide those things that you need. And he says this, verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And when you put him first, he says this, and all these things shall be added unto you. See, you know, at the end of the story of Job, you know what happens? He got everything back and then some. Verse 34 says, Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Go back to Isaiah 17. See, here's what you understand. You either allow God to prosper you and allow God to bless you and allow God to give you things and then allow those things to distract you to cause you to forget the God that gave you see here's what happens you come to church and you're distraught and you're upset and your family's falling apart your finances are falling apart and your job you know is falling apart and then you come to church and then God gives you a job and then you allow the job to take you out of church and you remember and you don't and you forget that God that gave it to you and he says, that's okay, that distracts you. He said, I'll give you time. I'll let you go ahead and work there and get a raise. And get a raise. He said, but eventually, he says, eventually they're gonna, there's going to be an accident. There's going to be a problem. There's going to be identity theft. There's going to be something. And God says, I'll take those distractions away. Or you can remember and repent. And God says, if you seek me first, he said, I'll take care of the rest. All these things shall be added unto you. Now, look, you may not be a millionaire, but you'll be taken care of, God says. Now here's what he says, Isaiah 17, look at verse 12. 
In verse 12, Isaiah the prophet changes his attention from Damascus to Ephraim. At this point, he's been talking to Damascus and Ephraim, Syria, and the northern kingdom of Israel. These are the people that are going to get destroyed. But in verse 12, he turns his, his attention to Assyria. So up to this point, he's been talking to Damascus, and he's been talking to Ephraim, who are going to get destroyed. But now he turns his attention to Assyria, uh, I'm sorry, to Syria, uh, which, uh, good night, I'm getting confused, to Assyria, uh, which is the one that's going to do the destroying, which is the one that God's going to use to judge the people. And basically, here's what he says to them. We'll look at verse 12. He says, Woe to the children of many people, which make a noise like the noise of the seas and to the rushing of nations, that make a rushing like the rushing of, a might, of mighty waters. Now he's talking to Assyria. These are the, the big boys on the block. He says, man, you, you, you are. He says, you've got multitudes of many people. He said, your noise is like the noise of the sea. He said, when your army shows up, it's, it sounds like an ocean. I mean, it's uh, to the rushing of nation, to make a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters. He says, you are big stuff. He said, you are strong and you are tough. But notice what he says. He says, whoa to the multitude of many people. Look at verse 13. The nations shall rush like the rushing of many waters. Doesn't this kind of remind you of America? Busy, busy, busy. Work, work, work. Money, money, money. But God shall rebuke them. And they shall flee far off and shall be chased as a chaff of the mountains before the wind like a rolling thing before the whirlwind. So he looks at the people that are going to bring the punishment and he looks at them and he says, you're so big and you're so tough and you're so busy he said, I'm going to rebuke you, and I'm going to take care of you. Look at verse 14. Notice what Isaiah says. And behold, at evening tide trouble, and before the morning he is not. So he says, at evening tide, I'm going to bring trouble. He said, he said here's how quickly I'm going to destroy you. He said, here's how quickly I'm going to take care of you. At evening tide, you're going to realize that there's trouble, and by the time the morning comes, you won't even exist anymore. He says, at evening tide trouble, and before the morning he is not. Notice what Isaiah says. This is the portion of them that spoil us, and the lot of them that rob us. Here's what Isaiah is saying. We're in trouble, because we've forgotten the God of our salvation, because we've allowed our hearts and our minds to wander, because we've allowed the things that we make to distract us from the God that gave us those things. But he says, the good thing is, that the people that God is going to use to destroy us... He will also destroy them. And here's what he's saying. He's, he's saying God does not want to be against his own people. Do you understand that? God will be against you only if he needs to. But he doesn't want to be against you. In fact, he'd love the opportunity to be able to take care of those that want to destroy you. When you get on the right side of God, then your enemies become his enemies. But when you're at odds with God, then you become the enemy. So you say, well, how do we fix that? Here's how you fix it. You remember and you repent. You realize that everything that you have, enjoy. Enjoy your house. Enjoy your cars. Enjoy the money. Enjoy it. But realize, but realize, but realize, naked came I into this world, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The things that you have, don't allow them to distract you. The blessings that God has given you, the job that God has given you, the success that God has given you, don't allow it to distract you because as easily, as easily as he gives it to you, he can take it away. 
said, what do I do? Remember and reflect.